Hello and welcome back lovely listeners. Thank you for joining me again on another episode of Picking at Perfection. Today I wanted to host an episode on an ever-growing concern of mine and I know it is for many, many people and that is the environment and the impact that we are having on it. Today, to talk about this with me, I welcome my friend Sophie Palmer. Now, Sophie has served as a fundraiser for Greenpeace and now works for a local conscientious shop in the town that I live in. In her free time, she creates recycled handmade notebooks for her brand, The Fox and the Butterfly. And Sophie and I know each other from volunteering together at various community events. In retrospect, I think we address today's topic with dignity, but also honesty. And our aim isn't to blame anyone or anything. It's more to bring attention to the topic itself. We also discuss positive action and proposed solutions from various influential people who are doing their bit to tackle climate change. So without further ado, please enjoy. so much for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me. So to kick us off, I always start with a quote and I found an absolute corker for this episode. So it goes, you cannot get through a single day without having an impact on the world around you. What you do makes a difference and what you have to decide what kind of difference you want to make by Jane Goodall. Lovely. I love her. She's done such amazing things. Oh, do you know what? I, I've never come across her. I'll have to research her following that one. But um, yeah, it was the first sort of instance um, that I'd came across of hers. Yeah, I think it was in the 60s that she was really big. She does. She's done a lot of documentaries. Um, but yeah, she's an amazing woman, an amazing activist, even to this day. Well, she must be in her, I don't know, 70s or 80s now. But um, she's still, you know, plodding on with her mm. activism. Admirable, admirable. Do you see yourself doing that when you're in your 80s? <laughs> I hope so. I like to think so, you know, still um, seeing the world. I mean, ideally, I really want to um, travel and go to different countries that are really affected by, you know, by climate change and various things. I'd love to do that well into my 60s, 70s, 80s, who knows? <laughs> Nice, nice. Well, before we get into anything, just as always, what was your personal definition of the word perfection? Um, For me, I think perfection is really the world, the world around us, the earth, um, the planet, really, of which we're a teeny, weeny fragment. Um, And I guess to truly see the world as perfect, we need to accept ourselves as imperfect. As humans, I don't think we can really strive to be perfect because it doesn't really allow room for growth and improvement. For me, the perfection, the true definition of perfection is really just the earth that we walk on um, and of which we are a, a part. I love that. That's beautiful. And actually, that really reminds me of a book I'm reading at the moment. I don't know if you've heard of it, but a, a friend bought it for my birthday. It's called Wabby Sabby by Beth Kempton. Have you ever heard of it? I haven't. No. I would definitely recommend looking it up because it, it kind of talks about exactly what you said there in terms of that actually perfection is nature and part of human perfection is accepting imperfection. And of course, you can tell why I got bored it now and why I'm reading it, because it's totally applicable. But um, yeah, I really recommend that as a solid read. And I love your definition. So thanks for sharing that with us. Oh, no worries. Awesome. 
So today we're mainly talking about the environment and our planet. And I don't want it to be sort of like a scaremongering kind of episode, but if you do Google this, it is pretty scary. So I will start us off with some facts. Mm -hmm. So half of all emissions from fossil fuels in the entire history have been produced in the last 30 years. So anyone that kind of says, oh, it's been a slow kind of gradual, it's really proven that it isn't. And by 2050, some countries in Asia will be unlivably hot in summer, meaning a massive housing and relocation problem. So it's more expensive to use recycled plastic in product production than it is to make things from plastic with plastic from scratch so virgin plastic and only nine percent of plastics in the world have ever been recycled on the other foot as just a small portion of the sahara desert is supposed to be able to have the potential to produce enough solar energy to power the world obviously many modifications and things like that to the grid would be needed but i still find that sort of quite impactful um and on this sort of topic of facts i wanted to ask you sophie being such an activist and being so concerned, was there a, a turning point for you? What kind of facts or information turned you to kind of actually actively trying to make a difference? I, I'm i not sure. I can't pinpoint something in particular, um, but I think it's kind of a combination. Um, I've always felt a connection um, with nature, I suppose, um, and always had that kind of, I don't know, innate desire to help save it I suppose um but in truth it doesn't really need saving um the earth has the power to regenerate but you know we're impact we are obviously massively impacting the earth ever since the industrial revolution um 200 years ago um and by damaging the earth we really are damaging ourselves damaging humankind as much as the earth itself um and i really i want to leave a better world for younger generations you know there's a native american proverb that i love you may have heard it um we do not inherit the earth from our ancestors but we borrow it from our children oh that is good i love that i haven't heard that that's really really good love that yeah it's really beautiful and it's true and you know what we're seeing with the school strikes and stuff like that is like the younger generations really really care um and i you know i have hope that this is a turning point for humanity that people are learning and yeah it is horrific you know the facts that you read out are scary some of them you know the sahara is pretty interesting but yeah yes yeah, so you know the facts are scary but there is hope that the things will move in a better direction if we all take some action um but yeah for me i don't know if there is anything in particular i just i i want to leave the world knowing that i've done something to make it better rather than leaving the world having not done anything really mm -hmm. no that totally makes sense and to pick up on a couple of points that you said there about um when you said that we're harming the environment we're harming ourselves i think that's really interesting and in the, in the book that i referenced mm -hmm. talks about the sort of healing power of nature there's this thing called uh forest bathing or yeah. forest therapy that it talks about i don't know if you've come across it but it's it's scientifically proven that being in nature is is healing for us because of our non-stop busy lifestyles at the moment um coming back to nature really grounds you and, and helps with mental health so that's really interesting and I think you've picked up on something key there yeah massively I mean forest bathing I think it's Japanese originally um, yes yes that's right and wabi-sabi is actually it's a Japanese concept so that's what the the book is based uh -huh. on a lot of Japanese traditions I see amazing yeah I know the the Woodland Trust in particular um have been 
doing a lot of kind of forest bathing projects in the UK um and yeah definitely being in nature has always kind of soothed my mental health and it is so beneficial like even just yeah the endorphins that are released when you're kind of surrounded by all this greenery and the and purely you know from a scientific standpoint the oxygen that circles in your blood when you're outside walking moving you know that that does make you feel better um so yeah definitely I've definitely experienced the mental benefits of nature many times Mm, I'll have to I didn't know the Woodland Trust was doing it I've sort of only just come across it as a concept so I definitely will be checking them out after this episode and booking in a session um have you heard of grounding therapy as well is something that I've come across recently I've heard of it but I don't really know much about it so the and again I think there is some scientific evidence behind it but um my brother put me onto it a, a few maybe a year ago or so okay and the the concept is walking barefoot in nature it probably um, comes into the forest bathing a little bit as well because we wouldn't have worn shoes and socks as our natural selves so it's I think it's proven that it meant um helps your attitude and just makes you feel better essentially getting in touch on skin on skin contact with nature it's another very interesting concept and I think that there is some science behind it because you can buy grounding mats and it's electric that that simulates it which for me kind of defeats the object but I guess it's some kind of charged atoms or particles not scientists so do look it up people this is not factually correct but um so I think there is some science behind it in you know some kind of charged particles or something yeah definitely I do know about I I have heard about that actually and I know you can even a friend of mine they he's put um I'd say copper or something underneath his bed um to like oh okay um and you can get even if you're not quite at the stage where you want to work where walk barefoot um even though I do a lot um (laughs) you can actually get barefoot shoes um oh okay yeah, they have special soles that allow you to properly like spread your toes because that's something, you know, your your feet are really restricted by shoes, um, kind of forcing your toes together, and that's completely unnatural. Um, so these barefoot sho- shoes kind of allow you to completely spread your toes, and also the the sole is so thin and kind of flexible that it really does feel like you're walking barefoot. Oh, interesting. Literally, as you're saying this, I'm like spreading my toes out going, oh, okay. <laughs> that does feel weird. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and actually, funnily, the um, the Wabi Sabi book talks about how to bring nature into your home as well in terms of using more natural materials, you know, wood and, and stone and things like that. I, th- I think you'd really enjoy it. It's a really interesting read. Yeah, definitely. I'll look into it. Thank you. And I think you've touched on a really important thing as well in terms of the school strikes, because mm-hmm. recently for me, I don't know if you agree, but I've noticed a lot more activism in general. Obviously, we're in a bit of a funny time at the moment where we, we can't necessarily be activists and gather as, as crowds because of the situation. But certainly maybe six months or so before this kind of situation, there was a lot of school strikes, as you say, is it Greta Thunberg? Yeah. Thunberg? that's been leading a lot of that and I think that's the first kind of signs or actions from the younger generation I've seen against the environment so it is really empowering I think we live in quite an empowering time about the you know being pro environmentally definitely yeah I, I, I've been saying actually to a couple of my friends I think you know it is sad and scary but also we're, we're almost living a second 60s with all the process all the protests that are going on um with you know with the environment also the Black Lives Matter that's been happening um 
you know, Pete, there is this real strive for change and for peace and led by the younger generations, much like it was in the 60s. Um, and yeah, it's just a, it's a time for kind of growing and becoming more aware of the world and the issues that surround you. And I think, yeah, that's definitely positive. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that's somewhat due to everyday people having a platform now so with social media and things like that I think a lot of people have a larger reach than they would if if there wasn't things like the internet and social media and that's something we talked about in my last episode but I think that's a really empowering point yeah definitely I completely agree with that so after all these sort of negative facts that we've read out then one thing that I did come across in my research that um someone had the mindset of that if we have had the power to do all of this damage, then we certainly must have the power to reverse it. And that for me was a real light bulb moment listening or reading that because I just thought, you know what, that's actually 100% true. Surely there must be a way that we can reverse all of this. So on that note, why do you think people aren't taking action or not as much action as needed? Purely, I think, because we have lived this way for many years. You know, ever since the Industrial Revolution, 200 odd years ago as humans we've been completely indoctrinated by government by the media into this view of progress and progress goes hand in hand with the destruction of the earth um i don't think we should blame people as such for not taking action um when in yeah in the west in the west we've really had it drummed into us that there is only forward um by all politicians and their view of progress their view of economic progress economic growth is it's just not feasible um, we can't have infinite progress on an earth with with finite resources. So we do need to take up action. And I, do, I don't know what the reason is why people don't take action. But I do think it's mainly because, you know, we, it's just, in, yeah, indoctrinated into us. It's, um, Maybe it maybe it does scare us this need for change, but we don't need a small amount of people to give up everything to make change to make progress um we need a small amount of people to give up a little bit well not even give up just take a little bit of action build awareness um there's small changes that we can make it doesn't have to be about making massive changes in your life and I think I, I guess a lot of people think that that's what it is and maybe that's what it is what does kind of I don't know, put people off taking action. But really, it's just it's small changes that make big consequences. Mm. No, I agree. I really like that point of, you're right, it's not um, a small, it's not about giving up everything. It's about a large number of people, you know, making small changes to, to substitute and make the world better. I think part of it, especially for me, because I'm, I do the thing, I do things that I can, but I am by no means perfect. So I'm learning things from this episode as well. But it's about not giving up the creature comforts. I think some people are so super used to, you know, how, how things are. And it's, you know, not a fear of change, but and not wanting to change because, you know, the life they're leading is quite comfortable. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's kind of, it's, it's jumped into us, this consumerist culture that we live in, you know, where we are used to it. So there's a guy that I read a lot of, he's an in, kind of an Indian sage, I guess, his name's Satish Kumar, and he talks about the bud principle, um, which... I think is amazing. It's inspired by William Morris um, from the Victorian age. 
um, who did a lot of activism. He was the fir- the first proper hippie. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, so Satish talks about the Bud Principle, which is you should only really have something if you believe it to be beautiful, you believe it to be useful, and it is durable. Um, nowadays, we live in this completely throwaway society, um, which is endorsed by all the brands that are selling to us. You know, the whole economy, the whole capitalist economy is based on consuming and wasting um and we just we need to change this mindset um but as consumers we have the power to really change things Mm. no no I completely see what you're saying and oh I think we could have several episodes on consumerism because I I completely agree that we're living in a, a kind of more throwaway society and temporary kind of satisfaction from from objects is what a lot of people rely or rely on or that's their kind of attitude towards like you say purchasing I completely see what you're saying in your previous point as well about the the government and progress and things like that I've listened to a TED talk recently on that about the the whole progress complex and the fact that if technology and industrial industries aren't advancing then it's seen as a sort of bad uh, front from the government so that's what they're striving for and I think you're right we we can't you know, progress in some people's eyes might be the whole world becoming a car park or, you know, a concrete jungle, which would not be right. No, and it just, you know, if we have that in the West, then it's going to disadvantage people elsewhere. You know, everything has consequences. Um, And if we have a concrete jungle over here, then that's completely disadvantaging the people that make it, the people that you know it's it's all related and it's at the end of the day as we've said it's not about necessarily giving up everything it's just about making small changes small sacrifices to make a better world for all of us definitely definitely and so with all of this in mind then so let's talk about what's happening we've mentioned the the current situation so let's talk about how the environment is reacting to all of the lockdowns and things like that now I've seen a lot of news stories about the the world recovering and sort of almost nature taking over again. We've seen lots of animals in the in the cities that wouldn't necessarily come so close because of all the human contact and things like that. What's your sort of take on that and and how what to the extent do you think that that will last until we come out of this situation? Yeah, I think it's really heartwarming to see all of this beautiful nature and and just being able to listen to the bird song. Um, which I've been really enjoying. You know, the, there's, there's so much quieter on the roads and whatnot, um, and just the little things like being able to hear the birds is beautiful. I hope that we learn something from this. Um, in all honesty, I do worry that, you know, what with the economic impact of the lockdown, that we're going to come out of it kind of twice as hard, twice as fast. But my hope is that, we take away from it that we need we need reflection the earth needs time to regenerate um yes obviously what what we're experiencing is unprecedented times as they're saying and it is really horrific what's happening but then we should definitely take some positives from it that we have taken time out and you know it really does show that kind of going back to the previous question it shows that 
lockdown has showed that we we can we can reverse things that we can um you know nature can recover we just need to allow it to mm-hmm. i'm i'm definitely of the mindset that there is a silver lining in in everything even if you can't see it um even if it's not so glaringly obvious or apparent to you at the time and i definitely think that the silver lining of this is that we should be encouraged by seeing the the fact that the environment has recovered. We should go, you know, and have the mindset of, you know, it is possible. We've, we've done a bit of it unintentionally by what's happened. So what sort of habits and practices could we take away from this and perhaps implement in our uh, everyday life? Like for me, I really hope that a lot of businesses turn to a more working at home based model. And I think that would take up, like you say, the traffic has been so reduced and the road noise has has been minimal. So I hope that a lot of companies allow um, employees to stay at home. I mean, obviously, it's proven that a lot of people can work from home. So hopefully that is a model that will continue and that will remove so much fossil fuel consumption from our from our planet. Exactly. Completely. And it's yeah, it's about a happy medium, I guess, because some people do need the kind of social aspect of working. But then, yeah, there's definitely, even if it's just, you know, two days a week or something working from home, it can be done and it's beneficial. It really is beneficial for all of us. Definitely. And I think that that would be, I mean, I can't do the math or the calculation or anything like that. But when we were talking about small changes, a lot of people doing one small change, I think that could be revolutionary, possibly. Exactly. Completely. I completely agree with that. So we both, before this episode, had a little look at um, a couple of TED Talks, actually, which is, I'd listened to quite a few TED Talks, and it's where I get a lot of inspiration of content. But they had a talk with Andrew Forrest, and his TED Talk was quite radical in terms of presenting a solution. What he talked about was a fine slash voluntary monetary contribution for using non-recycled plastics to make packaging or anything like that and he felt that this would shift the economy towards promoting um, and obviously with recycled plastics being cheaper promoting the use of recycled and non-virgin materials so do you think that that is something that people will adapt to do you think that that industries will go for that think industry is usually quite resistant to change but I do think it's definitely a positive thing um at the end of the day it's obviously all of us as consumers need to change our habits but it's the industries the corporations that really do control the world um so yeah if 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 Andrew Forrest can get this to work then I think it could be absolutely incredible um because I, I yeah I think I read something about where he said that you know there's hundred there's millions of corporations that use virgin plastic, but there's only around a hundred or so actual manufacturers of this plastic. Um, so yeah, if we can, I would definitely sway towards the fine rather than the voluntary mm, contribution. That's what I was just yeah. sitting here thinking. The thing that makes me nervous is the voluntary. <laughs> exactly. Why would you volunteer to pay more? Um, but it's definitely a really interesting idea um, and I think it could be amazing if he could implement it um, because, yeah, it's the corporations that really need to change their ways. You know, Coca-Cola in particular, they, I think it's something like 100 billion plastic bottles each year they produce worldwide. And that's just Coke. You know, they yes, they own a lot of other companies, but, but that's... Just, 
it's atrocious. And if they could, act, they boast, you know, they boast about their bottles now being re- all recyclable. But, you know, what is recyclable? Um, like you said earlier, only 9% plastic actually gets recycled. So if they could make their future bottles from recycled plastic, then they're essentially... <laughs> they're essentially recycling themselves because a lot of the plastic would have been, you know, created by them anyway. Um, so yeah, companies like Coca-Cola definitely need to take up this approach. Mm. Uh, and I think that's what Andrew was sort of getting at and aiming for in terms of, I think he called it a circular system, like a food chain for the for the plastic. So it would, the plastic sort of going round and always constantly being reused. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned Coca-Cola as well, because I think he uses them as an example in that specific TED talk in terms of his other proposition, which was a transparent reporting system for consumers to make an informed decision and see who is actually the most environmentally friendly and who in terms of the brands and the producers and who's doing the the most that they can. Because I think he addressed the fact that he had spoken to or approached Coca-Cola about such a system and they had said, well, yes, naturally, if if we could sign on to that and be compared to Pepsi, it would make it a competition because they'd be competing for customers that are conscious of that. What do you think of that? Do you think that that could be a good process and system? I certainly think it, it could be good. I am 100% for that. Um, That is definitely what needs to happen. So Greenpeace have done a similar thing with supermarkets. Um, Part of their plastic campaign is that they made a league table um, about all the UK supermarkets and how they're doing in, you know, the plastic, in recyclable plastic, in reducing plastic. And as soon as that league table went out, all of the supermarkets rushed to change things. And now we're seeing massive changes in the supermarkets. So I agree wholeheartedly with that. You know, we can only change things if they're exposed. If we don't know about them, then things are never going to change. So I think, yeah, if, if companies could be audited and it could turn into a competition, I think that could have amazing results. I really do. Great. I didn't know about the Greenpeace League table. I would definitely have to check that out because that sounds like yeah. a an interesting and, and similar concept. I think all of this comes back to me and, and resides with Holly Tucker's mindset. Are you familiar with Holly Tucker, the founder of Not On The High Street? Oh, I know the brand. I didn't know the founder. And she has this mantra or ethos of... Uh, vote with your money so your money is a vote and your what you're putting money into is going to reflect the world in future and I think that's a really good instance of this and would empower people to to use it better definitely have you heard of um, ethical consumer no I don't think so so it's a uh, magazine uh, but it's actually very similar so they rate a lot of like pretty much every company whether it be food whether it be fashion um, accessories skincare what have you um they basically rate companies in terms of their ethics um you do have to pay for the subscription but yeah it's very similar in that we consume ethically then we can really we really can change things and that's definitely a kind of ethos to live by really when you're buying a garment buying buying some if you're buying something new then you need to think about the environment you know it's not just the cost of the the cost that you are paying, the cost that you're paying incorporates so much more, it incorporates an environmental 
cost it incorporates and you know human cost like who's made it has it been made in a sweatshop has it been made by people that aren't being paid for paid properly for what they're doing yeah there's so much more than just the price tag attached to them mm, no i agree and i yeah i think that more yeah ethical consumption that's the perfect sort of term they've they've hit the nail on the head in terms of the mindset that we need to adapt and and consider so Another TED talk <laughs> that I'm going to re- reference um, was from Nigel Topping. And now Nigel is the UK's high level climate action champion. So a big weight on his shoulders. And this conversation that he was having with TED was in regards to coming out of the pandemic in a sense of protecting and rejuvenating our economy, but also how he was planning to do that and proposing to do that in terms of keeping the environment in mind. So do you think that this is a good opportunity for us to restructure our economy and consider the environment more in in moving forward with with new things that get put into place after the pandemic? Heck yeah, definitely. Obviously, with what's happening in the pandemic, it's horrific. The amount of people that have lost their jobs or are going to be losing their jobs. And the government needs to focus on creating new green jobs for people to do. And there is definitely a a green recovery out of this, you know. So if we change our mindset, more importantly, we get politicians to change theirs and truly put put the money into it, put the sought into it into making a green recovery yeah if the government could focus on making hundreds thousands more green jobs then it would really help the economy and also help people's livelihoods um to know that they're doing you know in their app in their everyday life they're through their work they're actually doing something to help the environment rather than degrade it further mm, no that makes total sense and i i think what he was saying was it's an opportunity, as you say, to grow the economy and make, you know, we need new jobs, we need new positions. So, you know, why not for those to be in the green sector, that would make total sense. And it's a potential or it's an opportunity for outdated yeah. industries to to reformat and relook at the way that they're, they're doing things and come out of this in a, in a positive way. Like we were saying, the, the whole silver lining kind of thing of this situation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and didn't, um, I think because I did listen to the Andrew Andrew Forrest one I think he said something similar that you know what he's proposing would create hundreds thousands new jobs and that would be more likely in kind of southeast Asia where they really have to deal with the plastic but yeah there, there are there are so many more jobs that could be created even in things like waste management that was a big one that could hire so many people in the UK as well um there are definitely yeah there's definitely a silver lining there are definitely ways out of this pandemic in a green way that don't rely on more fossil fuels mm. and i think you, you touched on a good point actually that i probably missed off from when we were talking about andrew's topic was that what he was proposing if the value of recycled plastic was higher than virgin plastic mm-hmm. it would almost push this movement of as you say people in the affected areas of the world where there are landfills and uh, plastic waste in the ocean it would almost make that plastic worth something so they there would be incentive to collect it and to sell it on to people that want to recycle it and use it in new products so I think that could be a really sort of groundbreaking movement and I will put a link to his website and his movement which is noplasticwaste.org I'll put a link to that in the show notes so that everyone can can check it out 
So one final thing to bring up on the topic was, and it was a bit of a radical thing. So something I came across in my research, and I I purely want to bring it up just to be controversial, to be quite honest, because that's the kind of person I am. Uh, Obviously, we all know that farming and production of meat has a massive impact on the environment. And there's big movements at the moment of veganism and vegetarianism, because that can have a massive reduction on a person's own carbon footprint. If someone proposed, and it's obviously something that sounds like it's out of science fiction, but if they could grow meat, what do you, what do you think of that? Is that ethical? Is it unethical, in your opinion? I don't think it's that radical, in all honesty. You know, we're better in this country, although we're doing a deal with America, so we might not be. But the the antibiotics that they inject in their animals over there, I think that's, all, you know you know gm modified crops and things like that we're already kind of doing this so to grow meat i don't think is even that radical in all honesty um we know yeah we know that the methane produced through cow gas yeah they produce methane which is a an awful greenhouse gas that's far more toxic in the atmosphere than carbon dioxide but you know meat is more than just that um and it's not just cows either working at greenpeace i learned a lot about this um and it's and it's something that really resonates with me and I care a lot about. Um, I'm desperate to go to the Amazon at some point, the Amazon rainforest. 90% of the soy produced in the Amazon rain in the Amazon last year is being used for chicken feed. 90%. Um, we all saw the news last year um, that the Amazon is burning um, and at rates that are really accelerating. And it continues to burn through the da- pandemic. The the reason it's burning um, is is intentional. The trees and land need to be cleared to make way for livestock. But more importantly, they need to, they're clearing the land um, and using the la- the cleared land for soy plantations, um, which is backed by the Brazilian government to help their economy. But the soy that's being grown in the rainforest, well, with in what used to be the rainforest, yeah, it's largely to make chicken feed. And fast food companies all across the world are completely complicit in that, which is just, yeah, it's just horrific. Um, all of the fast food in the UK that claims to be 100% British is not. You know, how can, how can the meat be 100% British if the animals are being fed from the destruction of the world's most important carbon sink? The Amazon is vital to all of us, you know, not just South America. And it r- really does bring me to tears most of the time. It's, yes, it, it's vital, not just for the South America, not just for the indigenous people, the indigenous people that inhabit it. And they're losing their land and also their lives because of it. But the Amazon also regulates the climate by the, absor- the absorption of carbon dioxide and the production of oxygen. It, you know, it influences global rain patterns um and it's also a major source of water so yeah i'd completely agree in growing meat to stop all of this um there are other you know know, there are other ways of making money um and if we could grow the meat then that would stop so many atrocities so george mombayo have you heard of him no i don't think so no, so he's an incredible environmental activist and writer. He writes a lot for, like, The Guardian. Um, but he has written a lot on kind of lab-grown meat um, and actually tried some. I think he's the only person to have ever tried it outside the laboratory stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, but he's written some good articles on it, and I'd advise everyone to have a read because, you know, I don't... It sounds strange to us, and, yeah, it does sound a bit like science fiction, but... I was a bit hesitant at first about the idea of growing lab of lab grown meat because I'm very much 
about natural living and all of that. But having researched it more, I think it really is the way forward. Um, I, yeah, not I personally am veggie. I've been veggie for a long time and I'm looking into going vegan. But I appreciate that not everyone can do that and it's not realistic to expect everyone to be meat-free. So, yeah, if we could grow meat and have a lab-grown solution that doesn't hurt the animals and hurt the world the way that industrial farming currently does then that can only be positive. Wow, that went down a lot better than I thought. <laughs> but um, I would definitely be looking up the the gentleman you referenced there and his articles, and that sounds really interesting. I'd like to know his opinion on how it tasted. Yeah, I think you've touched on some some really important points. The the deforestation, it is really tragic, and it, it's not just a cutting down of a rainforest. It, they are, you know, the lungs of the planet, that carbon basin that you mentioned. I remember learning about that at a very young age. Um, in our rainforest kind of projects, I think it was even in year three, and deforestation played a big part in that. So it's something I've always been aware of. But fingers crossed the technology advances and they can do it because I think it's something that I would back as well. I think, like you say about natural living and things like that, I would have, I try, I do try and do that as well, but I would happily forego that for something that would have such a positive impact on the planet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it doesn't really apply to me because I don't really, I don't eat meat anyway. And I don't miss meat in all honesty. But yeah, for people that do and don't want to give up, and I think it really is a a great option. And yeah, I think it's time that thing, we shouldn't be completely modern, we shouldn't be completely old fashioned, as it were. But if we can kind of bring harmony between natural living and technology, then, and the envir- like the environment and technology, then that's positive. And if that's the way that it needs to be, if that helps the world, then so be it. That's what we need to do. Sounds like a good proposition to me. Wonderful. Well, uh, this has been incredibly insightful for me and I'm sure our listeners will agree as well. So thank you so much for, for joining us. As a nice way to sort of close, I always ask my guests, uh, what is the, we'll start with most. So what is the most perfect thing you think you've ever done or experienced in your life? So I don't really know how to answer this question. I hope I'm not being too controversial. Um, But for both most and least, for me, all imperfections are perfect. Um, So I can't really pick out anything in particular for least or most. Um, But I'll always strive to continue my personal growth. So I guess in terms of the most personal growth, um, would actually probably be working for Greenpeace um, because I felt empowered every single day to spread the word of, you know, to spread awareness about what's happening um, to the everyday person, even though it was in, it was incredibly difficult on my mental health to be a fundraiser and constantly have negativity because we were doing door-to-door fundraising um so you can just imagine the reception that you get from some people um rightly so because you're you know you're knocking on the door you're in it's an intrusion of their home some people think um so um so yeah it was really difficult but I guess in terms of yeah my personal growth I think that that really that really helped me grow as a person and learn more and become even more engaged than I already was and really influenced me 
you know, working for Greenpeace is the, has really put the fire in my tummy, I suppose, to go to the Amazon and try and make a difference there one day. Um, so, yeah, that would be my most personal growth rather than my most perfect thing. <laughs> I love that. No, that's great. And, yeah, I think it's important to accept that we are never in one state. We're ever changing and ever growing, as you say, and humans and your mindset is completely fluid so it's difficult to to pinpoint perfection and imperfection I completely get that yeah totally you know we're yeah I'll always strive to continue my personal growth and not dwell on negativity um and just to you know approach everything with love um we're not I believe that we are all interconnected with each other with the earth and life is truly a mirror of what you you know what you project into the world you receive back to yourself um, whether you believe that to be karma or anything really what if you're purely if if you're if you emit radiant you know if you emit positive energy and you're if you're just friendly to people you know they're friendly back um we see whatever if you put positivity into the world then you receive positivity back and that goes the same for negativity so we all need to just strive to be to just to have personal growth and to be more positive and to really treat the world with with the respect that it deserves I completely agree I completely agree and I I know of what you're referring to someone talked to me about it I believe it's the law of attraction and whether that is actually a rule or in terms of putting out positive energy and getting positive back whether that is you know some kind of mystical power or something going on I don't know or whether it is just your your mind gets in a positive place so you see the positives I have no idea but I know that it works so I completely agree with you just coming back to one point that you said actually I'm aware we're sort of in closing um but to talk about something that you mentioned in regards to having to pick yourself up when people were perhaps rude to you as a fundraiser when you were you know trying to promote Greenpeace and and raise funds and things like that how how did you find that how did you what methods did you use to pick yourself back up and that must have been really degrading to your to your mood and your positivity so how did you stay resilient through that process yeah, so resilience is something they emphasise interview. Um, that's the whole mantra of Greenpeace is be resilient. Um, sometimes it's really it was really tough. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, I had people say some really hurtful things. And it's not always about Greenpeace itself. Sometimes it was actually about me. Um, and yeah, it was really difficult. Sometimes I did need to take time out. I was really lucky that my, I'm still in touch with him, he's one of my close friends, but my um, team leader, um, he, the benefit of working for somewhere where you all share the same values is that you can really talk to your co-workers. We were all so close and if ever I did get into a bad state of mind or any of them, we could, we were really lucky in that we could talk to each other and we all had similar mindsets. Um, so yeah, I'd usually kind of, talk to talk to my co-workers um and also try and remind myself that every door is a new door um which is you know which was um true for the job but also in a metaphorical sense um true for life is that every you know every day is a new day you just need to kind of reset yourself yeah and that I think that's how I got through it but I also reminded myself that for every negative person there was 
five, ten, twenty more positive people, and I met some incredible people just by knocking on their door. So I just reminded myself of that as well. Amazing, love that. Well, you must be very, very resilient to have done that. I definitely don't think I could deal with being rejected so many times. <laughs> So thank you so, so much, Sophie, for this really, really insightful chat. I'm sure everyone has taken so much away from this. So if anyone wants to follow Sophie or get more information, they can do so on Instagram at the fox and the butterfly. And I will also provide a link to Greenpeace's website in our show notes if anyone would like to donate to their cause. But thank you again so much, Sophie. This has been really, really great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been really interesting to talk to you and to learn from you as well. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And make sure you hit that follow or subscribe button so you never miss an episode. I would love to hear from you either via my Instagram page or the Apple podcast review section. Catch you on the next one where we'll continue picking at perfection.